listening to The 30 Podcast. Here's your host, Jazz Kang. All right, welcome to another episode recording this on Sunday. This podcast, of course, part of the Silver Screen and Roll Podcast Network. Don't forget to subscribe. You can leave us a review, positive or negative, totally up to you. And you can also ask us questions in the comment section. We're always checking that as well. Don't forget, go to silverscreenandroll.com. We have you covered for everything Lakers, stats, opinions, analysis, news, and more. A little bit of breaking news today, if you haven't heard, with uh, Anthony Davis, is MRI scheduled on his sprained thumb. Uh, going to be happening on Monday now. The team got in a little bit late. The flight was delayed coming back from China. So no news yet on the Anthony Davis front. Although, from what I'm reading and what I'm hearing, nothing too serious is more or less a precautionary measure. So hoping uh, there's no structural damage or anything there in his hand. But again, I, I don't anticipate him being out long term. So let's not fret yet, Lakers fans. We're still just over a week away from the regular season opener. I think he'll be good in plenty of time there. Also, expecting an update on Kyle Kuzma's status tomorrow before the Lakers play the Warriors in a preseason game at the Staples Center on Monday night. Joining me on this podcast, he's been on with me a few times, one of my favorites, up-and-coming writer. You can catch him on Twitter, at Alex M. Regular. Alex, what's going on, my man? I'm good, man. How you doing? I'm doing okay. It's good to have finally have basketball back in your life, even though it's still the sluggish preseason. <laughs> no, definitely. Besides the, the 4.30 a.m., uh games we just had everything's been cool so i'm happy to finally be watching lakers again thanks for having me back on oh it's always always good to have you on man i love uh, love reading your stuff as as well i want to jump into this with you first anthony davis he's still at the forefront um looked looked pretty pretty good i mean he did go two of seven in the last preseason game although against uh warriors who's putting up big numbers but again going to going to china asking these guys to play without really their body clocks adjusting too much obviously we had that drama going on with, with the government and whatnot so I, I don't think anybody was really focused on the on-court results as much as maybe getting the chemistry better and figuring out the sets that that frank vogel wants to run now that's what i wanted to jump in with you first and you've, you've tweeted about this a few times as well the shots that anthony davis is getting you know he's, he's closer to the rim uh, had quite a few putbacks missing some jumpers what do you see from Frank Vogel's system right now that that's working and might not be working for for Anthony Davis specifically? Yeah, I, I I think that first game we saw Anthony Davis kind of really dominate because mostly because the Warriors are so weak down low, like their their front court's pretty thin right now. Um, I think we saw Anthony Davis kind of dominate because he was able to get those putbacks and those those lobs and kind of get these like little dump off passes from LeBron. And these last two games, that kind of hasn't really been there as much. And I think he's kind of had to to settle for jumpers and not he's not getting a lot of pick and roll compared to what he got last year. So he's uh, operating more from the post and as like a spot up guy as opposed to someone in the in the roll spot. So I think that's something that we've seen more this year compared to the Pelicans version of Anthony Davis. And that's something it's gonna be really interesting to kind of to check out as the season continues. But so far, his jumper isn't falling. Like I think last I checked, he was like two for 12 or like three for 13 like not not the greatest number on his jumper so far so that's definitely somewhere he can improve and uh, if if that's like an area he's really struggling and he's still putting up these really good numbers that's a good sign for the lakers and he's still learning how to play with lebron and these two this teammates and under frank vogel so i think it's an encouraging start so far but i think vogel has to kind of also play to his strengths a bit more i would like to see him in that pick and roll like i said and a little more often. I, I don't know if it's because he has to share the court with like another big guy like McGee or Howard is if that's like a, a possible reason why he's not getting as many role opportunities. But so far, like he's Anthony Davis and it's really cool to watch him live and to see how good he really is. Yeah. I mean, he, it's, it's funny when I saw LeBron play live in person for the first couple of times last year, I'm like, 
there's just a difference between how he's built and how he thinks the game compared to everybody else on the court or, or yeah, with him on the court part of me. But when you're looking at it on TV, I, I don't think, I mean, you can obviously tell who's better, but it just in person, I think it's amplified that much more. And when, when you're seeing that with, with Anthony Davis, like the, the way him and LeBron were feeding off each other, especially going back to that first preseason game when they were playing against the Warriors and how he's looked a little bit right now. He's, I mean, most of his uh, points are coming off assists from, from LeBron and, and, and Rondo. And you're seeing, you know, he's gotten some easy, easy lobs by the hoop. How do you think him and LeBron can maximize each other? Is it trying to play off the pick and roll, or, or do you think they should kind of run a different system where um, Davis is, is maybe setting like a flat screen at the top and then trying to trying to look to dive, trying to look to, to kind of gauge how to do it, or just go with a hardcore regular pick and roll? What, what do you think would work better for, for them? I think that's a good question. I think, I think it's probably a combination of all those things. I think you can't become too, too like, predictable, like too stagnant, where the defense could just expect a pick and roll. But at the same time, like most of these, you know, these great NBA players, you know what they're going to run. Like, we know James Harden's going to be in isolation for, like, half the game, and it's still really hard to defend that. So if you have, like, a LeBron Davis pick and roll, and you know it's coming, it's still very hard to defend that because LeBron could just drive off that pick and roll. He can step back and kind of use that screen and hit a three. Davis could pop. He can roll. They can hit, like, a... Davis can maybe, maybe make a short, pa- a short roll pass to, like, green in the corner or something like that. So I still think... Vogel has to find that right balance. And I think during this preseason, we're kind of seeing him experiment with different types of things, different types of lineups, seeing what works best with LeBron and Anthony Davis. But I think keeping it simple when it comes to AD and LeBron, I think will ultimately be what they rely on. And I think that's ultimately what's going to work. But I do think that they do have to mix things up and be creative. And like you said, maybe using Davis as a screener for for shooters uh, off motion or something like that could work. But I, I just want to see a little more Anthony Davis rolling to the basket as opposed to stepping out or kind of being the space guy for a guy like JaVale or Howard to operate. So something like that. Yeah, I think that's a problem with 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 big men in general. I mean, of course, we're not talking about the NBA from from ten, you know, not even ten. I'd say maybe fifteen years ago, where you had one or two, you know, entirely big men. I mean, they were slow, lateral moving, but they they took up a lot of space and they just go to the block and and set some screens and try and bully their way around there. That 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 big man, I mean, is obsolete now. In the NBA, but you, you see that sometimes with these guys like Anthony Davis. He's he's a, he's not he's a decent outside shooter, but that's not his his bread and butter. And I, I see that with Cat as well, Carl uh, Anthony Towns in in Minnesota. They they start to fall in love with 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 shooting the longer jumpers when probably coming up in high school and and throughout college they were dominating down low and they, and they want to expand their game, which is good. But they got to stick to their bread and butter and let the outside shooting come to them because you mentioned that. I mean Anthony Davis, and I was reading uh, one of your tweets. I remember you talked about him not being able to hit jump shots and I know it's only preseason so I don't want to be one of those people who's like oh my goodness you know he can't he can't shoot and people are freaking out already uh all those people just calm down like I said it's preseason we'll, we'll see what happens but uh um when you look at the offensive sets that that Frank Vogel is running what is one thing you like and maybe you don't like about about how things are being spaced or or just kind of the general sequence that the Lakers are running through I, I thought that first game, he did a really good job using uh, Rondo as like an off-ball screener. Like I, I know a lot of people kind of complain about Rondo's floor spacing and kind of how that the negative effects of him on the floor are when, when defense gets kind of just easily help off of him and you know double AD in the post or LeBron in the post and Rondo gets kind of stuck in a corner somewhere. But I think in that first game, we saw Vogel kind of smartly use him as a screener to kind of kind of like detract that negative spacing where he kind of frees up other shooters and other guys while being on the floor, not not strictly having the ball in his hands at all times. And I think that was something he I really liked that Vogel did. And I think that's something that they kind of got away from in these last two games. Um, 
a couple things I haven't really liked is how they've used Danny Green and, and Alex Caruso. Um, I think Danny Green's been used more of as a guy who is coming off screens where I think he's much better as a catch-and-shoot guy. Like, the last few years, I was looking at his numbers, and he's just noticeably better as someone who just needs to catch-and-shoot. And when he gets those chances, he's pretty much automatic. But when you have him running off a screen or he has to dribble off a screen or... Basically, whenever he puts the ball on the floor, that's probably not going to be a good thing for Danny Green, like, <laughs> as we saw in the finals. So, yeah, yeah. yeah, if you just keep it simple, Danny Green, he can excel in that role. I think he's shown that with Toronto and in San Antonio. So that's something I hope to kind of stick to basics with with him. And, and a guy like Alex Caruso, they've used him a ton as like a pick-and-roll ball handler, like as that lead guy when LeBron and Rondo aren't on the floor. And I think he can do that, but I think that can't be his sole way where he gets his usage from i think he needs to be used more as an off-ball guy as a catch-and-shoot guy like danny green and i think that may mostly be because of who he's playing on the floor with and he's kind of playing these garbage type minutes with like the g league guys and maybe that that hopefully kind of gets smoothed out over the over the preseason so you know one one concern i have alex about this the team and the roster is constructed and i mentioned this a couple times on the podcast and, and we're hoping we get good news about coups that you know, he might be ready to go by the time uh, the 22nd rolls around when they open things up against the Clippers for the regular season. But the, the second, like the second lineup, the the, the bench unit, basically, I, I don't know if that is going to be deep enough in order to maybe hang with the big boys. I think the Lakers are, are one of the best, you know, two or three teams in the West for sure. Do, do I think they have a great shot at getting to the, at least the conference finals? Yeah, yes, I do. But I, I think that might be the separation. And, and that's where I'm hoping Iguodala somehow makes his way um, to west or to here to the west coast uh, to, to play with the Lakers and, and gets bought out by the Grizzlies. But when you when you're looking at that secondary unit, like, even with Caruso or part of me with a, a healthy Kuzma, does that look like enough to you to get things done in terms of keeping up offensively? Because you also don't want to be running Davis and uh, and and LeBron through the ground either throughout the regular season. Yeah, I think I, I think I have definite question marks with that, and I'm I'm not even sure who's really going to be in that starting rotation yet. So it's kind of hard to predict like who of Avery Bradley, Rondo, Caruso, or Green, or Kuzma, who's actually in those roles? Well, he's not Rondo, right? Are we in agreement? I, I, I mean, I don't, I don't, I mean, I would prefer him not to be in there, but at this point, like, based off all the minutes we're seeing with LeBron and AD, it looks like Rondo's been getting that, those, that point guard minutes with those guys, so it seems like that's where it's <laughs> trending, so I would yeah. kind of, like, expect the worst in that sense, because I think, I think from everything we've seen so far, in terms of who's playing with those guys, it's been Rondo. Crusoe hasn't really had his chance to play with LeBron or Anthony Davis at all during preseason, so that's probably not a good sign if you're expecting him to start. So I would guess it's probably going to be either Danny Green and Avery Bradley or Danny Green and Rondo at this point. But that brings up the question then, who off that bench is going to score? Who's going to be able to create? And I think a lot of that might depend on Kuzma. Like Kuzma's really the only other guy on this team who can create his own basket, create his own look. So really, at the end of the day, this a lot of this might depend on how how Kuzma takes uh, this next step in his third year. I, I'm not sure if you would prefer to keep Kuzma off the bench or would you start Kuzma? What do you think? I would keep him off the bench. I think you have to because at this point, and I've mentioned this a few times before on the podcast, that Boogie Cousins injury really, I think, messed things up for the grand plan for the Lakers. I know people look at it and say, well, you know, at least it wasn't LeBron or, or AD. And of course, that would have had a ca- catastrophic effect overall uh, on the team. But when Boogie Cousins went down, to me, he was going to be the number three option, right? And you were going to have a couple of games where, okay, let's say LeBron is tired or he's having a load management night and AD struggling from the floor, which happens to every player over an 82-game schedule. Then you had Boogie Cousins, who had the ability 
to go off for, for 30 points and, 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 you know, 10, 15, even a monster 20 rebounds. We've seen Boogie put those kind of games up. And so you had that, that option of, all right, you know what, our top two guys are struggling or, or they're, they're tired and, and we need to get, we need to get uh, some contributions from another guy. Then you can look at running the offense through Boogie. He's also a great, great passer as well. Yeah. And so now I think that that pressure is going to fall upon Kyle Kuzma. And, and I think that's where, to me, I think Kuzma is a very good player. Do I think he'll ever make an all-star team in the NBA? I, I don't think so. I think maybe if he was playing on a on a lesser team and putting up bigger numbers, then then yeah, he might have a chance. But on a on a championship team, I don't think Kuzma is is an all-star. I think he's a very good player. I think he's a guy who can put up 15, 16 points a night and hit some big shots for you. But he he has to be able to consistently bring that. And so that's where I think this team is, is is looking a little bit thin just in terms of secondary options off the bench. So when you're looking at this roster, is there someone that you would ex- like that you're hoping other than maybe Danny Green to step up, especially on the offensive end? Uh, besides like besides Kuzma and Danny Green? Yeah. Like, is there anybody else on the on the team right now that you look at and say, OK, you know, that guy has the potential to put, to put in, you know, 20 points in, in a game. We really need it. That's where things get shaky. Like you bring up a really good point. I think after those few guys you listed, everyone else, even including Danny Green, are so dependent of others' creation to score. Like, I'm not sure who of Troy Daniels, Jared Dudley, Quinn Cook, like all those guys you need, to, they need to be set up by a pass or something to be successful. And I don't think any of them could be relied on to kind of down, you know, with like five minutes left in the fourth quarter to get a bucket. Like, you, they need to be put in spots where they can succeed and be able to get their shots created for them. And I think that's an like kind of a underlying issue with this team that there's not a lot of creation on it. Like I like you brought up a really good point with Boogie. Um, his passing, I thought his passing was going to be one of the best skills he brought to this team because this team is kind of devoid of this like playmaking in the the backcourt. Like we have Rondo, yeah, um, but he's not so much of a. I, I don't know. He kind of hunts for assists instead of kind of like shot creation. I think it's a little different between those yeah. two things. Yeah, yeah, I get what you're saying. Yeah, and like I he, think he Alex looks more. Sorry, sorry to cut you off, but Rondo yeah. looks more for like. I'm going to wait for the obvious pass that I can make this. And he's made some great dimes too. Don't get me uh-huh. wrong. But I mean, for him, it's like, he's kind of forcing the play instead of even, cause I know in the NBA, it's not like hockey where you get the secondary assist. Right. But sometimes it's, it's the, the second pass before the shooter gets the ball that kind of set things up. So for me, I think Rondo's always looking for the next pass I make that that's going to the shooter. Exactly. And that's to the detriment of the team. Like if he gets, he's in a layup position, like we saw in the preseason, Ron pass it to him down low. And instead of shooting it, which he should have, it would have been a layup, he kind of passed it out or forced it out. And it's when things get sloppy and things get turnovers and the spacing gets messed up. And that's something, besides Rondo's ability to pass and stuff like that, like Caruso's I don't think is there yet, where you can rely rely on him to run 10, 15 pick and rolls a game. That's not his game. He struggles with that. His numbers say that he struggles with that. I think he's 1 for 11 in pick and roll possessions this preseason in in terms of him trying to score off a pick and roll. So that's not part of his game, like at least yet. So that's something that this team is really lacking, and I'm not sure who outside of Green or Kuzma can really offer this, like offer that to this team. Yeah, that and that that is that that has been my concern since that since that boogie injury. Uh, you mentioned Alex Caruso, Captain America. Everybody wants to see him succeed. I, I, it's so funny because he's kind of like that Rudy story. You know, remember the the movie Rudy? Yeah. Or am I, da- am I dating myself with that reference there, right? <laughs> no, no, I think everybody knows who Rudy is. Yeah. Okay, okay. Uh, because, I mean, he's kind of, you know, the little guy who, who looks like, I mean, he's a freak athlete and he's just kind of a, 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 an adorable guy. You want him, you want him to do well. <laughs> Why was he struggling so much, man? You'll go in the last game going one for one for 13. He played 30 minutes. So, I mean, Vogel left him out there to figure things out. But what do you think was going wrong with him there? And he went one of five from the three-point line in that one too. 
Yeah, I think he's forcing things right now. And I think that also has to also uh, is because of who he's playing with. Like I mentioned earlier, he is kind of getting the garbage time minutes where he's playing with the G League guys or, you know, it's mostly guys like Zach Norvell and uh, Devontae Kaycock and guys like that who probably aren't going to get any run this season with the Lakers. So he's kind of stuck out there with the ball. And like we said, he's he's trying to create for everyone else and instead of him kind of playing off others. And I think that's something he's more suited for and I think that's we're kind of seeing what happens when you put a guy who's not uh being utilized properly in that situation so I think right now he's forcing things he's you know he's turning the ball over it seems like he gets blocked every time he goes to the rim I don't know if you've noticed that too but yeah uh, yeah so I think it's just him I I wish we got more of a chance to him with Anthony Davis like I'm not sure if we're gonna get that chance now with his uh thumb sprain that Anthony Davis has so I wish we would at least got a chance to see that and how those two would have worked off together. But I think, he, like I said, he's forcing things. I'm not sure if you're seeing anything different. Yeah, I'm, I'm in the same boat as you right now. I think these guys, and when I'm talking about these guys, I'm referring to maybe if you're looking at the Lakers roster, the guys who were slotted you know, between 7 and 10, 11, 12, like guys like KCP, uh, guys like Caruso, guys like uh, you know D- Dwight Howard, who might get a lot of minutes, might not get a lot of minutes, depending depending on the game. And when I'm looking at when I'm looking at how those guys are playing right now, they're trying to force their way into the lineup, which is not a bad thing. I mean, you want you want players coming out and trying to prove themselves and say, hey, there's an availability for me to get some minutes. And when you look at it from an individual standpoint for these players, they're looking at it for the betterment of the team, yes, but they're all looking also looking at it for the betterment of their earnings because if they get to play and and they're making. Uh, you know, they're, they're contributing to a, a championship caliber team with the Lakers, then you can look at these guys and say, all right, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be able to get myself another two, three, four-year contract, whatever it is down the line. So th- these guys have to, have to come out and prove a point, but you also want to see them kind of play within the system and let the game come to them. And I don't think, I don't think we've seen that. I thought KCP obviously shot the ball pretty well last game. I'm just not a fan of KCP. I, I think he shows up when the games don't matter. And when they actually do, he, he's just like, he's not even there. He's invisible, right? And so when I'm, when I'm looking at, at, at Caruso, I just think because of the hype and maybe he's letting all the meme, <laughs> memes get to him that he's seeing online because I know he loves that but uh, I think maybe he's getting caught up in in trying to prove himself and live up to not the I don't want to say people have expectations of him but live up to what people want him to be you know what I mean I think that's a really good point like all summer all we've kind of seen are these articles uh, on Caruso like Bleacher Report has an article on him the Ringer did an article on him like Silver Screen Roll we write articles on him like daily like people love mm-hmm. Caruso and people have like he's he's a genuine NBA player. I think like like all those memes and everything, take all that out of the window and like he, he is a legit guy who deserves being the NBA. But at the same time, we've almost kind of hyped him up to a spot where like, like you said, he might feel he has to kind of reach that those expectations that kind of maybe really weren't ever like actually there, but that he might feel because he has this new contract. He's on a team that has championship aspirations. And obviously, people feel highly on him, highly about him to write features on him and kind of praise him so much that he might feel like, you know what, I have to go out there and show that I can do this instead of kind of just playing his game that he's always kind of played. Where the last couple of years, he's kind of played just freely, where he just dives on the floor, he just goes out there and makes plays. But now he kind of feels like he has to be like a almost like the third star for this team in a way when he's out there. Um, <laughs> yeah, he needs to, he needs to calm that down. I love <laughs> I love Alex Caruso, but he does. He needs to uh he needs to tone that uh, tone that down a little bit because I, I do I, I do agree with you and I think that he might be looking at it like, 
these are the, the these are what the people want from me, and I kind of have to deliver on that. Whereas, like you said, last year he was just kind of playing and like, hey, I'm happy to be here, but I also want to put in an effort. And now he's kind of looking at it like he's beyond the happy to be here point. He's like, now I want to prove myself. You know what I mean? And and so it'll be interesting to see how Frank Vogel uses him and if he overall kind of does start to improve and and play the way and and get to the level that he was at uh, last year. There's a couple of things I wanted to go over with you as well. Alex, will do that after this short break. All right, and we are back. Uh, Alex Regular joining me on this podcast. You can follow him at Alex M. Regular. And don't forget, subscribe to our podcast as well, anywhere you get your fix. All right, Alex, we were talking a little bit about uh, Caruso a little bit beforehand, but I wanted to jump into this now. Uh, Lakers Film Room did a, a good job breaking this on uh, breaking this down on silverscreenandroll.com. You can check it out there. Uh, he's talking about how the Lakers' defense and, and the scheme, they're, they're giving up a lot of, of three-point shots. I mean, you look at the last game, uh, the Nets were, were pretty much well on, on fire, too. I mean, it's mm-hmm. not every night a team's going to shoot 48.8%. They, they went 20 a 41 from beyond the arc. And a lot of those were uncontested threes off of slow rotations. And he mentioned how Dwight Howard and, and JaVale McGee were, were kind of sticking closer to the rim. And like that was the, the scheme and the design defensively that uh, Frank Vogel wants to go with. Is that something that when you, what you've seen so far in the game, and again, it's only preseason, so I don't want to harp on it, but is that something that you could see that will end up being a shortcoming for the Lakers in terms of giving up too many threes? Because you don't want to be, and in today's NBA, almost all five guys on the, short, on the court for any team can shoot. So I don't think you can rely on that anymore. Yeah, I think that's definitely one of the possible limitations when you go big. Like when you have like a Anthony Davis and a JaVale McGee out there on, on, at the same time, you're kind of more... Uh, easily exploited that way if you have a, a team like Brooklyn who just shoots a lot of threes. I think they shot like 74, 75 threes combined in the last two games against the Lakers. And that's something that we might see all season when it comes to the uh, the, the Lakers opponents, how they uh, scheme against them, that they're just going to shoot a ton of threes and put a guy like JaVale or AD in the pick and roll and kind of space the rest of the floor. And I think Pete did a really good job kind of mentioning how the Lakers thus far with Frank Vogel have kind of been like in his drop, drop coverage where one of the bigs, like you mentioned, kind of sticks closer towards the paint while the other one goes up. And you kind of have this middle ground where you have to make a decision if you go up or if you kind of switch. And I'm not sure if you have two bigs on the floor at the same time, if you can easily switch that. Because although Javel's a pretty good rim protector, he's not the greatest perimeter defender like AD is. And I think that that's definitely one of the limitations and one of the potential weaknesses of this team. I think if they go kind of small with AD at the five and maybe Kuz or LeBron at the four and the three that they can easily defend the three a little better in crunch time but over the course of the season and a full game that's definitely somewhere where this team could get exploited I think yeah that and that was that was my thing too with with the defensive how things are going and the team was really slow on its on its rotations as mm-hmm. well so if they if they can work on if they can work on systematically how they how they're going to shift things on the floor defensively say a guy does does get beat off the top and maybe everybody's kind of sliding one way or, or you're, you're covering an area basically it's almost like a matchup like you're ma- you're matching up man but on the rotations you're you're kind of covering one area you're responsible for that and the man in that area so they think they could do something like that but i mean what i was what i was seeing when when the when the nets were getting penetration off the top was it, it, it it's not the traditional look now in the nba and i think when you have a guy like dwight howard out there who is looking lean i'll give him i'll give him some credit yeah, I mean, he, he, looks, he, looks, he looks jacked right now but um when when he's out there like you mentioned it's, it's just too much of a risk defensively and when you get to play teams that are at a higher level like like the clippers in the regular season like the utahs 
um, like the like the the Warriors will be when when they get fully healthy and rolling, that they're going to expose these weaknesses yeah. and they'll keep going to it until until you stop or you make an adjustment. And and that's one concern I have with. And I know AD will play the five eventually, and and that like you mentioned, I think that is going to be their best option, uh, especially defensively, having Davis at the five and and matching up. Um, either LeBron or, or Kuz with the four, depending on who the opponent is. Because remember, there are some games last year, man, where we saw Kuzma playing against a bigger four in the post, and he was getting bullied. Like, he was getting <laughs> dominated down low. He was playing center for a few minutes in the beginning yeah, of the yeah. season. Um, but yeah, no, no, definitely. I think at the end of the day, AD at the five is going to be what the best lineup is, just strictly in terms of defensive versatility and what they can guard out there, one through five. And I think AD knows that. I think Frank Vogel knows that. So I think right now, in terms of just kind of getting to the playoffs and getting AD healthy and kind of like sustain him through the season, because we already see with this thumb, this thumb strain, this thumb, uh, thumb sprain, that one injury to AD can really, really just kind of put the season down the toilet. Like they can't have any injuries to LeBron or AD this season. We kind of talked about the weaknesses in the rest of the roster. What happens if a guy like AD or LeBron goes down? I'm not sure. Sure, anyone on the roster can kind of fill that void. So they really got to keep him healthy, and that's where a guy like JaVale and Howard comes in to kind of rebound and bang low with those big guys and kind of keep AD fresh. But in terms of, like you mentioned, when it comes down to like facing a upper echelon team like the Clippers or the Warriors or the Jazz, you know they're going to expose those weaknesses. So the Lakers kind of have to come up with a scheme in the meantime to be able to kind of to counter that. Do you, have, do you have trust in Frank Vogel to be able to do that overall as a coach? Because I loved what he did with that indie team that he had that that lost to lebron's heat i, th- I think it was at six and seven if i'm not mistaken in in, in back-to-back years and in, in the playoffs but i mean they played them tough and they overachieved and you know what i mean and that's a sign of a good coach that he put that team i mean other than paul george didn't have a whole lot of offensive weapons they had a bunch of guys who were who were pretty good but they weren't stacked you know and to, and to take that heat team who had arguably three of the top 10 players in the nba on that roster i, I think it showed to me that i mean he he can get more out of his players and they can be better than, than they actually are just depending on scheme and, and how he maybe motivates them and, and, and what, you know, whatever he does behind closed doors. But when you look at him offensively and, um, and you look at kind of the schematically, do you have confidence that he'd be able to get this done? Because people got to remember this. He wasn't the Lakers first choice. I don't think that's a big secret, you know? Yeah. I mean, after that first game, I thought I was really impressed with what they were running out there. I thought the, the team was really doing a lot of motion offense and really using their off-ball screening really well. They're getting great looks. I really liked how LeBron and AD, they're kind of doing these kind of creative weave action with Rondo and LeBron and AD. I really liked. I thought I was really impressed, but these last two games, I'm not sure if they're just experimenting with different play calling, if they're kind of working in different lineups, or if it was the China trip kind of wore on these guys or what, but they look kind of completely different in these last two games that I got discouraged that hopefully this isn't really what they're getting because I thought that first game if that was any indication of what we're going to get this season I, I was really impressed and encouraged about what Frank Vogel was calling out there I just hope as we kind of see the rest of this preseason go on he kind of returns to that first game in terms of the play calling and the motion offense and guys spacing the floor because I kind of tweeted out earlier today he, he's been kind of clamoring for more analytical basketball and shooting a lot of threes and not shooting any mid-range basket like uh, buckets but Looking at the numbers, the Lakers are, I think, in the top six in terms of the highest mid-range frequency in the NBA so far in the preseason, and that's just going against everything he said. So hopefully he kind of reins it in and kind of kind of backs up what he's been talking about all summer. With, with, um, 
with uh, when you're referring to when you're referring to kind of how they looked in the first game, and I thought they looked better too. And, and you're right. I mean, having to travel that far and 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 go, you know, basically across the, uh, basically across the the entire planet, and going yeah. over to to games like they're going to look ugly against the Warriors in their next one too. And so because the Lakers lose by twenty the preseason game, because I, I think they're going to get as well. Yeah, I mean, I I, I just hope that that these couple last games were just like you mentioned, it's just part of the travel part of not having everyone healthy and just kind of these pre like everything that comes with preseason, like everybody knows these games don't really matter. The Ultimately they don't really matter. And people are just experimenting and trying to work things out. I just hope that we see progression. And I thought from the first game to the game two and game three, they kind of went downhill with the opposite direction where you'd rather mm-hmm. see, the team improving over the preseason until that regular season not go the opposite direction. So thankfully, we're kind of past China, and we can kind of... Yeah, thank goodness, but, right? No, no, yeah, I'm, not, think, I'm not trying to downplay the whole political controversy, but just with everything in the NBA and the Lakers, like from a Lakers perspective, that was that was draining as well for those guys to deal with too, right? Yeah, you'd have to believe so. Like, I don't know how it couldn't be, and I think that's something I want to like throw a caveat out there that, yeah, I mean, these guys had to travel across, you know, to another country, deal with all the political stuff that was going on and their own personal, uh, you know, their shoe deals and everything that comes with it. So I know they were kind of definitely had their mind maybe somewhere else as they played or the coaching staff wasn't fully there. I don't know, but I just want to make sure that going forward, we see kind of a, not linear, because nothing's really linear in the basketball, but we see a kind of steady progression where the team improves, not, not goes the opposite direction. It's kind of what I'm hoping for. All right, Alex, I'm gonna, we're going to wrap up on this because I've seen, seen you tweeting about it uh, qu- quite a bit online. AEW. Okay, so I'm going to talk a little bit about my background. So I loved the WWF growing up. I was a total Hulk Hogan fan. Uh, I don't know which kid wasn't, you know, who, who was, grew up in the, or was born in the early 80s. And then I transitioned into liking, you know, The Rock and the NWO. And then I kind of fell out of wrestling. By the time I, w- I would say I was about 18, 19, uh, 19 is a legal age in Canada, which is where I grew up. And so I think my, <laughs> shift, my, my focus shifted from trying to be like The Rock and a wrestler to being like, oh, damn, I can get out and try and meet some women here at the club. So <laughs> I think my focus shifted at that point. But uh, what's all the hype about AEW? And, and does, does the WWE actually have some uh, comp- like legit competition with, uh, with this organization? Oh, man. See, you didn't prep me for this, but I'm really excited to talk wrestling. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so AEW is basically a new wrestling promotion. Um, created by Cody Rhodes, who is Dusty Rhodes, is a legendary wrestler, yeah, his son, yeah. Cody Rhodes, and the brother of Goldust, who is an old, famous uh, WWF wrestler also. And so they started a new promotion that airs on TNT, and they go directly up against WWE's developmental uh, show, NXT. So those two uh, shows go up uh, against each other every Wednesday at the same time, and they kind of battle for ratings, kind of like how WWF and WCW used to compete in yeah. the Monday Night War. So it's kind of a, a a revised version of that. So they're not going directly against Raw or SmackDown, but the last two weeks where they've premiered, they've kind of thoroughly beat WWE in the ratings. So people are really excited about this new promotion and this new company kind of adding some new blood to the wrestling world and add, adding an alternative for like the first time in years. Why, why, why were people getting frustrated with WWE? Like, I mean, I, like, I, I would try and pay attention to what happened at WrestleMania or Royal Rumble or something over the last few years. And uh, obviously, like Brock Lesnar, he's a superstar. So I would, I would tr- maybe try and tune in if I could. But why, what, what's been going on with uh, the WWE lately? Did it just become too stagnant? Because I think one of the complaints I've seen, 
especially online, is that they don't listen to the fans a lot and they just kind of go with what they wanted to. And I remember one of the controversies was like shoving Roman Reigns down people's throats. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I was kind of the same boat. Like I stopped. I, I've kind of just recently came back into wrestling the last couple of years. Like I, I took a big break for, I don't know, almost 10 years of not watching wrestling. And it's kind of because of those reasons. It just got very uh, predictable and the storylines were just not creative and nothing felt fresh and just all seemed like i said predictable and like you mentioned with roman reigns they just put put guys down your throat they didn't want like a opposed to guys you were more familiar with and more you thought were better workers or better wrestlers where a company like AEW is kind of like one of their mottos is being fancy listen to the fans they always ask for after every show they kind of ask for their input and how to get better and that's their whole makeup and they've had a big focus on just ring work and having matches the whole show there's no really promos there's not backstage segments it's all just in-ring stuff and it's been really fun i i think it's if you were kind of tuned out of wrestling over the last years and want to kind of see what the fuss is about and kind of miss just really good matches i think AEW is a good alternative okay i might i might i might have to give it a try we'll we'll, we'll wrap up on uh, wrap up on this one give me your three top top three wrestlers of all time in your mind <laughs> uh i would say stone cold for sure is one Eddie Guerrero, I was a huge Eddie Guerrero fan, so Eddie Guerrero, and I'll say Shawn Michaels. Shawn Michaels is just really cool. I'll say Shawn Michaels. Oh, I hated Shawn Michaels. <laughs> what about yours? What about you? I was, you know why? Because I was going to say Bret Hart was my favorite of, of all time. I'm, oh, I'm Canadian, like I said. I love Bret Hart. So I ended up getting surgery a few months back, so I signed up for the free month of WWE Network, uh-huh. and I watched a ton of the old school documentaries, and then I watched some of the other stuff, and I'm like... Oh, I, I can't stand Shawn Michaels now. You know what I mean? I'm just like, I don't like him. I'd probably go Bret Hart, The Rock, and, and, and Hulk Hogan. So not, not, okay. uh, not too exciting there. I didn't really pick anybody off the board, but, but those are my guys. Cool, man. Yeah, no, no. I, I, I totally get why Shawn Michaels isn't liked over there in Canada. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah he's got, every time he goes there still till this day, people boo him. Uh, that does it uh, for this episode. Alex, always fun to talk to you, man. I love having you on. Uh, love to do this again, too, as well sometime. Of course, man. Thanks again for having me on. All right, that's Alex Regula. He writes for SilverScreenRoll.com. Also wrote for Bleacher Report NBA a few times. You can follow him on Twitter at Alex M. Regula. And don't forget to follow us as well at LakersSVN. Uh, this podcast, a part of the Silver Screen and Roll Podcast Network. You can subscribe anywhere you get your fix. We're on iTunes, uh, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, you name it. We are there. Uh, part of the, pretty much that's Google Podcast. But uh, don't forget to rate us, subscribe, and leave a comment. You can ask us any questions. We'll try and get around to them as well. We've got new shows coming out Monday through Friday. Again, that does it for this episode. I'll catch you all next week.